Hey guys, welcome to day 17 of our Romans reading plan. Once again, we have Senior Pastor Brady Cooper with us to again today. Uh, thank you again. You know, a, a fun fact is the first uh, Sunday that I came to New Vision was I was your trial Sunday for being yeah, here. Yeah, that's at, right. That's, it's crazy how that sounds weird that you're trying out to be a pastor. Well, yeah, yeah that's well, you know, awkward, you passed, yeah. so it's better. <laughs> I'm glad that you passed. You know, I, I enjoyed your your teaching. Um, as I think back to those days, I wasn't necessarily the most responsible college student at the time. My roommate actually brought me here, uh, and little did I know that you know, years and years I'd be here, and uh, this year is, I guess, my. 12th or 13th year on staff. It blows my mind how time has flown. Um, uh, It's been amazing to see what God has done in the past 10, 13 years. It's crazy. One of the things Amy and I were we're talking about the the first time that I, I really remember ever meeting you, Robert. I think we were there was a college event. We were at a bowl. We were at the bowling alley here. Yeah. And we were just talking <laughs> as we were there bowling, and uh, you're just a young college student. But you know what? This gives me a good chance in front of our entire church just to say how proud I am of you, how much I love you, and we've traveled all over, really all over the world uh, really? together. We've yeah. had uh, it's been a great experience in watching you grow, and just to be able to work with you is really. Uh, one of the joys of my ministry and one of my life uh, of my life. It's really been fun. That was getting kind of heavy. I'm sorry, hey, but it's I true. It. It's all it, true. It, it's all it true. made me feel uh, appreciated. Thank you for that. You know, a, a lot of people don't know that you were a youth pastor here before you right. stepped into the senior pastor role. Yeah, that's right. Right out of college, uh, I, I was when I was in college, I felt called to ministry. Um, nobody really in my family uh, was in ministry, and so I, I was. I, I knew. This is what God was calling me to do, but it was uh, it was different for me. Uh, I kind of saw myself as graduating from college and being a coach. That's what I kind of saw myself doing. And then this this calling to ministry occurred, and I'm um, obviously surrendered to that, thankful for that. But this was my first chance to serve at a at a church here right out of college, and I was doing a little bit of everything back in the day. Where there was a pastor here, Mike Thomas was here, and I was doing youth, but uh, children. I even ordered the children's choir material. I, I was doing it all. Not well, mind you, but but it was a great chance to get a lot of experience. And then, of course, Amy and I went to, for a period of time to Hendersonville and served on staff with her father, which was a great experience. But then to be able to come back to my hometown and serve here has, has been – it's it's been lights out. Just the one of the highlights of my life has been so much fun. Uh, I've, I wouldn't have missed this ride for anything. Well, I'm honored to be a part of the team. Uh, excited that you're here once again today, reading chapter uh, 9, verses 1 through 19. You want to take it away? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. And this, uh, you know, yesterday was a, a, a great section, but a tough section. Today, uh, this, is a, this is a hard passage. I, again, as I said yesterday, I won't be able to provide uh, complete clarity for sure. There have been some, there's some you know, when we think about predestination or Calvinism versus uh, what some people might call free will or uh, more of an Arminian belief, belief system, those debates have been raging for hundreds of years. And and so I, I'm not going to solve those things. And one of the things about uh, me, I say this and people don't always like it, sometimes people ask me, are you a Calvinist? Are you more Arminian? I'm glad that people don't know what I am. I, when it, whenever I'm reading Scripture, I want to just teach what the passage is teaching. And when you study the Scripture, there are, there are passages in Scripture that focus more on, on, on our 
freedom to choose, and there are passages in Scripture like we're going to look at today that focus more on God's sovereignty. And again, as we sat, said last week, I want to live in the tension uh, of those things. You know, I, I, I think about it this way. If anyone belongs to Jesus, he belongs to Jesus because he, he chose to follow Jesus. But if anyone chose to follow Jesus, he chose to follow Jesus because Jesus was drawing him uh, to himself. And, and some people say, well, well those things... Uh, they can't exist together. I mean, those are two different things. And, and no, those are there's a we serve a both and God. And so, living in the tension of those things, I think, are just uh, super important. So, let's pick up in chapter nine of Romans. I'm glad you're here with us today. Paul says, "I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart." For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. So this is a this is a mouthful what Paul says, and I think one of the one of the things that makes Paul I think so successful is because it's just heart for lost people. And really, what he's saying in this passage is he says if, if in some way I could I could be a substitute for them. I would be willing to to suffer separation from God so that I could see the salvation of my Jewish brothers and sisters. Now, of course, Paul understands that Jesus is the only substitute, but again, it gives us the heart here. And I think this again is going to set up for us some of the difficult passages here because you have uh, in Paul's day obviously a large rejection. Many Jews rejected Christ as Messiah. We know that. And so What's going to set up the passages that we're going to look at in just a few moments is the question that these Gentile believers, who are the predominant believers in the churches in Rome, not all of them were, were Gentiles or non-Jews, but the question I think they're really asking is, why did the Jews reject Jesus? And if the Jews rejected God's chosen people, rejected Jesus, what about what about us? Could we kind of fall away from that as well? So I think that's sort of the context. Then Paul's going to say, picking up in, in – let me go back and read verse 3 again. Paul says, For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. He's going to show all the opportunities the Jews has. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God overall, forever praised. Again, Paul is listing all the advantages the Jews had, God's special covenant relationship with them. He adopts them just out of all the nations to work in and through them. Uh, they have the prophets. They have the law, Moses, the lawgiver, the temple where the Spirit of God, the presence of God dwelled and the miracles that God worked in and through them. So all these advantages that they had, yet many of them missed out on the Messiah. And so he's going to use that and kind of make a point here in just a few moments. Verse 6, he says, It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all those who descended from Israel are Israel. So I think part of what Paul is saying here is before we just kind of throw the baby out with the, the bathwater, not all Jews rejected Jesus. Paul's a Jew, and and there were many Jews in the church at, at Rome that uh, had trusted Christ as Savior, so there's that remnant. And then in verse 7, he says, "...nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring shall be reckoned." This is a very important passage. Again, just a little background, and, and some of you will know this. Paul is going back uh, to Abraham, the father of the, of the Jewish uh, nation. 
and he's saying that the lineage of Messiah, those that are are truly, I, it would be a better way for me to say it, those that are truly born again are, are descendants of Isaac, who if you remember, Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah when they're well advanced in years. And this is this is a, a supernatural birth. It's a, this promised child. And it's through Isaac, the line that the Messiah is going to come. Now, Abraham has other children. He has has Ishmael. Abraham took matters into his own hands, and he has this, this son. And so it's, it's something that he produced. It's not a supernatural work that God produced. And I think what, what Paul wants us to see is, is just because someone has a heritage, like this Jewish heritage, doesn't mean they're in a right relationship with God. It's only that they're only those whose hearts have been changed by the gospel that are truly in a right relationship with God. I think there's a lot of play and a lot of traction for us here growing up in the South, if I could say this for a moment. You know, everybody in the South maybe kind of grew up in church or has family members who kind of believe in God or has a little bit of a heritage of faith. But just because we have a heritage of faith doesn't mean we're born again. We're born again because there's been a supernatural work in our heart when we put our faith and trust in Christ. And this is Paul's point. In verse 8, in other words, it is not the children by the physical descent who are God's children. That that would be a reference back to Abraham and this child Ishmael. In other words, it's not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return, and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebekah's children. So this is jumping ahead a little bit. And, and this Jewish audience would have been able to follow Paul pretty pretty easily here because you have this promised son of Abraham and Sarah whose name is Isaac. And Isaac is, is married to Rebekah, and they have two children, Jacob and Esau. And so now we're going to get into to their story, and Paul's going to make a, a great point, but a difficult point here. Not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will, will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. One of the most difficult passages in, in, in all of Scripture. I'm not denying that. But I think we miss a lot of what's taking place here. Again, what Paul is trying to, to show here is the true essence of our salvation. And our salvation is not based on our merit. It's not based on us earning something or deserving something. You see, if our salvation was based on us earning something or deserving something, then God would be obligated to us. And God is not obligated to us for anything. So the point here is before Jacob and Esau were even, even born, we know, we, we see that God has entered into this relationship uh, with with Jacob, but he has uh, rejected Esau. Now, uh, Paul understands this is going to be a hard issue. This is one of the things that I love about Romans so much is Paul already understands our objections, and he's going to jump ahead and he's going to deal with them. So let's just read on. What shall we say? Is God unjust? I mean, that's the natural question that we have here. Like, So it sounds like that God loved Jacob and, and God doesn't love Esau. And that's not what's in play here. What What's in play here is Paul is showing us, first of all, that our salvation is a supernatural work, not based on our merit or not anything we've earned or deserved, but based on God's mercy uh, in us. Now, if, if we think about Esau, now Esau sells his Esau sells his birthright. Esau is really an example of a man who just lives for his passions, uh, his own desires instead of God's will. And so here's, here's one of the things, again, we said it last week, but you have to keep these guardrails 
uh, there up as you're reading uh, Scripture, especially Scripture like this. God is sovereign. He knows all things. He's in control of all things. That's one side, and man is responsible. And so even in this, Esau completely responsible. I mean, he's a man who just lives for his desires. So in verse 14, Paul reminds us that God's not unjust. He's completely just in what he does. For he says to Moses, I have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It's interesting the word that, that uh, Paul uses here. He doesn't say judgment. He says mercy. He doesn't say I'll have judgment on whom I have uh, want to have judgment on, but mercy. And what's the difference? Judgment is really giving people what they deserve. And so if we got what we deserved, all of us, what would be, if, if God judged us all, all of us would be separated from God with no hope. But God deals with us on the basis of mercy. That's just unmerited favor. And that's the point that he's making uh, here. Now look at verse 16. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all of the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on who he wants to have mercy on, and he hardens who he wants to harden. Now, again, this is a difficult passage, but what Paul is doing in this section is he's saying, let's take an example of, of Pharaoh. Even Pharaoh's rejection is used to bring more people into relationship with God. So that gives us even some, we say, well, that, that doesn't make sense. That seems really harsh that God, God would do that and someone wouldn't be a believer. But here's the other thing about Pharaoh. It says that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Well, if we go back and we study in the book of Exodus when the, the plagues are coming on Pharaoh so that the children of Israel can be released, um, it's not until the sixth plague that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. In other words, Pharaoh has five straight times it says that Pharaoh hardens his heart towards God. So even Pharaoh in this story, Pharaoh rejects God time and time and time again. So Pharaoh is completely responsible. But the point, I think a greater point that Paul wants us to say or wants us to see, excuse me, is even in Pharaoh's rejection, God is using that uh, as, as a means to reveal himself to other people. So difficult passage, uh, important passage. And again, if we go right back to the way we, what we started with in this passage, the question I think that many, many Gentiles were, were asking, and it's a question I think people ask today, you know, can I, could I lose my salvation if, if, if you know, maybe I started out with Christ, but then I could, I could fall away in their context as you see all of these Jews rejecting Jesus as Messiah. What about me? And Paul's going to show again, God's unwavering uh, affection and love, and that our salvation is not based on uh, our love for God first, but it's, it's based on God's love for us. And I think that brings us uh, to a place of having just a ton of confidence, a, a ton of peace, and it draws us into a place of even loving Him all the more. Uh, tough section of Scripture. Thank you for hanging in here with us today. We certainly appreciate that. And Pastor, thank you for your time. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you tomorrow with Joseph Brasher as we step into day 18 of our Romans reading plan.